This is a News Laundry podcast. Uh, we move forward to uh, the next panel discussion, which is a panel on data-led approach to India's agriculture economy. And I welcome Abhinandan Sekri. Abhinandan will be the moderator for this panel. He is the co-founder of News Laundry, India's first independent subscriber-driven digital news organization. Before founding News Laundry, he worked as a producer, director, and writer in television and film projects, including Highway on My Plate, which he co-produced and directed, and the new satire show, Gustaki Maaf. Over to you, Abhinandan, and take over uh, the moderation of the panel. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Arushi. Um, welcome, everybody. Um, thank you for making the time and thank you our panelists for um, for that slight delay for being patient uh, for eight minutes. Uh, so I would just like to announce what we will be discussing. Um, it's a data-led approach to India's agri-economy and its news coverage. There are several related questions to this that I'll be putting before the panel. And the panel consists of uh, M.N. Parth, who is the principal correspondent with India Spend and he's based in Mumbai. He's written for Al Jazeera, LA Times, Pari, and First Post. And areas of focus are rural India and social political developments. And he has also won a Ramnath Goenka Award and the European Commission's Lorenzo Natalie Media Prize. Welcome, Parth. Ajayvir Jakhar, our second panelist, is a citrus farmer. He's based in a village called Mojgad in Punjab. He is a member of various cooperative societies and has actively participated in their activities. And he's also the chairman of the Bharat Krishak Samaj Farmers Forum in India, which was formed in 1995. It is a non-political and non-partisan association of farmers advocating for farmer prosperity. And uh, today will be a busy day for him. So I believe he has to leave early. It is a day where uh, farmers are agitating the country over three very important bills of past yesterday. Thank you, Mr. Jakhar, for making the time. I know it's a really hectic day for you. Uh, and Aparna Karthikyan, our third panelist, uh, is an independent journalist. She's authored Nine Rupees an Hour on the Disappearing Livelihoods of Tamil Nadu. She volunteers for Pari as well, which is an initiative by P. Sainath that many of you may be aware of. She has written for The Hindu, for The Caravan, for Wire, Scroll, Frontline, Open News Minute, and seminar that covers pretty much every digital platform of any significance. Um, she was a National Foundation uh, Fellow, uh, and she produced a series on the vanishing livelihoods of rural Tamil Nadu. And uh, Nidhi Jamwal is an environmental editor and head of the English desk of Gaon Connection that many of you may be aware of, is a platform for Village Voices. Um, it was a physical uh, uh, you know, newspaper or magazine, and now I believe it's only digital. She has over two decades of experience in environmental and developmental journalism. Thank you all for joining us. Um, and if I may, please start with Mr. Jakhar, because I know, uh, sir, you have to go soon. Um, we, I, I have often been, you know, part of discussions critiquing news media that why uh, agriculture doesn't get, often that it doesn't get enough coverage uh, or it doesn't, you know, have, have the kind of information that it should. Uh, my question is that I'm not sure whether it doesn't get enough coverage or it doesn't get the kind of coverage that it should get. What do you think is the problem in your view? Is it the amount of coverage or is it the kind of coverage? Thank you for this uh, opportunity. I think uh, there is a 
there is a difference in the kind of coverage and also the amount of coverage. <clears throat> if you were to look at uh, the number of people and the livelihoods, then the portion that's available in the media as a percentage of the people involved with the profession, obviously agriculture hardly gets anything. But we also find there's a big difference in the vernacular dailies covering uh, agriculture issues and the English media covering agriculture issues. You will see that most of the policy articles will come in the English media and they will not be there in the vernacular dailies and Hindi media. They will not be talking about policy issues. They may be talking about real issues of what's happening on the ground. So there is that big difference that people who are writing on policy are basically writing in the English media, which is not being read by the local population, by farmers themselves. So this is a big, uh, <clears throat> big, uh, big gap I find in within my own organization also, and we find it generally. So not only are farmers not getting enough coverage, even the kind of coverage differs between vernacular dailies and English dailies. Okay, um, let me just take this uh, to Nithi. You know, you've been a, a reporter um, and you now um, write for the Gao Connection, which at least is supposed to represent the voices that don't necessarily find, or the kind of news that doesn't find its way in legacy media. Is it unique only to agriculture or is this a malice generally, you know, when it comes to reporting and the quality of reporting? I mean, are we, are we treating agriculture as an outlier that it should be treated differently? Or in your experience, is everything skewed the way it's covered? I think it is uh, not just with agriculture because, uh, I mean, I think if, when we look at journalism or when we look at reporting, it is very much in silos. Like, you know, when I started my journalism career two year, uh, 20 uh, years back with Down to Earth magazine, that time environment was seen as something, you know, as a different kind of reporting arena, which only some journalists, possibly who are the worst, who can't do anything else in their you know, journalism career will become environment journalists. So that's how it uh, kind of, you know, so I would say same is with agriculture also. We look at it in silos where we don't understand there are intersections, which is why, which, uh, you know, Ajay just talked about that only certain kind of stories will get published at certain platforms. And that also looks at it in a very, very, uh, uh, you know, I would say uh, not a very broad perspective where we think that agriculture environment, politics, all these are interlinked. It's only now that we are actually understanding when the farmers are out on the road protesting, we are understanding the politics also behind agriculture. So it's not just like, you know, a farmer growing something somewhere and rainfall happens and he loses the crop and the story ends over there. So I think as journalists, we've also failed to see those, you know, interlinkages uh, uh, in the last uh, whatever decades. And it's only now possibly we are realizing that agriculture as a beat is beyond just looking at what an MSP is or, you know, what a tuar dal cost of production is. Okay. Um, so clearly the session is going to talk about how open source data can better inform reportage. And I checked out uh, the, the website, the India data portal uh, around the agriculture. And, you know, this jive has often been made at many journalists or people who are in the news profession that you will not be able to build bajra from rice or, you know, some such thing while you're talking about agriculture. Uh, well, uh, at least in my case, as I tried to navigate myself through this really phenomenal website, and I highly recommend anyone who's following news, check it out. It's indiadataportal.com. And you know, there are all these maps. You can create your own data visualization. And it's kind of 
zapping me a little because I think on technology I'm a bit of an uncle, but it is very impressive. Have you, uh, you know, Aparna, um, have you a checked it out? What does something like this do to uh, to to make reportage better? While you know, a jive at an urban, uh, you know, centric journalist maybe that you will not be able to tell Bajra from Maze or or, or Paddy, but uh, does something like this make it more accessible? to someone like me, who is clearly not a farmer, uh, will it, does it add to that conversation? And does it add to my arsenal to report on agriculture in a more informed manner? Um, so having, you know, um, written this book where we did, I did try to bring in, you know, human stories and data together and uh, kind of support the human stories with data. I can tell you that having the data in one place will be like a huge boom because I was really struggling to get at some of the, you know, information that you want. Uh, it is there in uh, government uh, policy papers. It is there in, uh, you know, annual reports of various uh, departments of the government. And you have to go and download every single policy paper and scan that to find out, let's say, uh, when I wanted details of how many native breed cows were there in every breeding station in Tamil Nadu, it was a task to get that data. You know, it is a real task to get that data. So how do you use that to kind of supplement your story and make it more interesting or make it more relevant to your uh, reader, right? That's essentially what we're trying to do. How do you make, uh, what does data basically do when you're telling a human story is basically you're saying that this is not just one person's story, although you have to use a single person to draw attention to the story. Then you make it relevant by talking about it in a larger population. Like, you know, one person's story in one village is reflected across the state, is reflected across the nation. And when it's, you know, you throw in climate change, it is universal, right? So I think data basically helps to build the story, take it from a very small story in a very small location uh, to a global story. It really can, depending on the story's complexity, of course, you can make it as uh, big or small as you want. Um, I think... I, I did have a look at the website as well. It, it is very interesting. So some of the data that we want may not be available, uh, you know, um, really not available anywhere. It, it is in the um, villages, it is in the streets, it's in the, you know, livelihoods that very small number of people practice. But I think all of it adds up to the agrarian class. When we talk about agriculture, we're talking about, are we talking about the 10% of people or less than 10% of people who are full-time cultivators? Are we talking about the 50% of people who have something to do with agriculture? So the agrarian class is very huge, right? It also consists of weavers, it consists of uh, uh, potters, carpenters, everybody who has something to do with the village economy. And as Nidhi said, there is a lot of interconnectedness there, which we sometimes fail to see. So like, you know, how a good monsoon can influence the life of an instrument maker in a tiny village. Okay, so so a data website like this, can it... Um substitute for the lack of knowledge for let's say a very urban centric uh, reporters pool of the of just the understanding of agriculture which right now is you know pretty dismal um, to be honest i think it can if it is visualized in a correct way so if you're going to look at so I'll, I'll give you one example okay if you look at the drought year that we had in tamil nadu 2016-17 i discovered in one little uh, set of villages 3,000 acres of uh, paddy was grown the previous year. The year that there was a drought, 150 acres was grown. If I'm going to put that in a graph and put it out there and say that this happens in eight villages, can you look at what has happened in the whole state of Tamil Nadu? Can you look at what happens in a drought year in all of India? That's going to be pretty powerful, right? Yeah. That data will wake up people to the idea that, listen, we have a problem here. That can be very powerful. Right. So, um, 
parts you work with india spend which specializes in actually data journalism and i think you guys were the pioneers when it, when it came to looking at data as a serious beat or a, or a craft by itself in reportage um from your understanding uh, you know maybe you are uh, you know also well equipped to take on that question that i posed to uh, ajay uh, of is this unique the the quality of coverage to just agriculture and and, and the lack of data and um, kind of dissecting it as not treating it as one monolith and what does lack of experience do um, vis-a-vis lack of data and can can one substitute for the other uh, yeah i think uh... data is very important but at the end of the day i think uh, you, there's no substitute to telling human interest stories uh, data can supplement those stories and i think even with the lack of data i don't think it's an excuse it can be an excuse for reporters to not cover agriculture because there's no data uh, and the intersectionality that nidhi spoke about i think that was one of the gaps that i saw while uh, while while seeing the most of the reportage around migrant workers as well because very few people connected the migrant workers crisis to the agrarian economy that we are talking about but because at the end of the day the agrarian economy is what the migrant workers used to depend on but are no longer can no longer rely on that so they have to come back come to the cities and slog uh, slog in day slog day in day out so i think that inter- intersectionality is is important and as far as the quality of report uh, report is concerned i just feel that the mainstream media doesn't cover it because it doesn't sell it's not sexy enough to uh write on agriculture it's just a very business driven sort of a, a model that you see in mainstream media that if a migrant worker or a farmer doesn't pick up our, our english language newspaper in the morning why should we write about him or her if uh, the migrant worker or an uh, or a farmer at 9 pm doesn't tune into uh watch our shows then why should we talk about that person it's basically a lack of apathy that drives the kind of coverage we see around agrarian economy as far as i'm concerned okay so what you're saying is data is not that necessary as far as its interest is concerned you can you can get that in other ways uh, so yeah. okay i've been told uh, that rajay can actually stay with us for the full hour great thank you so much uh so um, you know let me just hence the next question to what is happening right now three major bills were passed and honestly i'm still trying to figure out whether that's good or bad uh now clearly the politics behind the passage of these bills has got a fair amount of coverage even though agriculture by itself may not uh and of course many uh, news commentators have thrown a challenge to uh, at least our broadcasters that let's see whether deepika padukone's uh, showing up at nc at, at the at, at the this narcotics control draws more cameras or, or the farmers agitation so i haven't seen what switch on television to see what works okay let's let's come to this bill uh, we've you know put out an explainer on news london i've seen indian express put out an explainer many people have put out explainers when it comes to getting a regular news audience which you know as part said It, this doesn't seem sexy enough for news platforms to push it how would you kind of explain the implications of these three bills and since you are a non political and non partisan organization to make it significant for a regular person to say okay this has my attention because it matters to my life and not just that farmer who's agitating you know you're the reporter can okay? do your piece to camera why should we pay attention no newspapers are going to print for long stories which people want to read i completely agree with but they are going to 
right they're going to report stories which they pay which which they think the readers are going to read i'll just give you an example i i can't answer your question because i'm not trained for it but i will tell you myths that newspapers and media are spreading very simply right from the prime minister two editorials of 99% of news websites are saying that these bills allow farmers to sell their produce across the country after they have been passed and that's the prime minister saying it that's the agriculture minister saying it that's the editors of financial dailies of financial express live mail indian express everyone's talking about it but the but the law says right from uh, forget mughal times i think so since harappan times mughal times british times post independence there's never been a restriction on farmers to sell their produce anywhere in the country but but that's the biggest highlight that this uh, that that is is shown in even in government advertisements as one of the things that this bill gets freedom to farmers now this has been put out differently by different farmer organizations including by me and others but no newspaper reports it they still keep saying the same thing why do you think that is uh, i mean why do you think they don't have people like you writing that that editorial on on some or an explainer on something like, like even during the budget you'll always see the captains of industry telling us what's good what's a good budget and bad budget you never have a representative no. of farmers don't, don't go to the budget no captain of industry has the guts to say that the budget is third rate no businesses bear ficky you know ficky and cii and phd chamber of commerce they all come in the evening in the best suits and they'll say very good budget and when they want to criticize it they'll use the word very interesting and they could have thought about it or some stupid stuff like that they don't have the guts but but see the other the problem with data is i'm working with the punjab government i advise them officially on uh, agriculture policy is and this is my experience not from punjab but all all states is that governments don't want transparency they do not collect data when they collect data it's not compatible with other departments forget with journalists and the public the quality of data is very bad it's not uh, interportable to other departments you cannot use it together it's just not available and 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 it it's a problem that starts they don't even have e documentation within their own departments forget transparency of data you know so there there is uh there is a requirement they don't even have a market intelligence cell you know to collect data the, you you have export ban on onions on what basis do you have an export ban on onions you've changed import price of masoor dal four times in the last 3 months on what basis there is no data on how much onions are produced or where it is stored coming back i'm just i'm not answering your question but i'm coming to a point of these three bills so one of the bills two of the bills talk about contract farming they talk about essential commodities act being diluted to such an extent that it could lead to hoarding so one of the suggestions we gave to the ministry to the niti aayog and to everyone was that whatever produce is there in the warehouses they must report it to central government servers every evening it, it requires a simple cell phone and it can be done and we said it doesn't have to be exact it can be because it's an agriculture produce you can allow a plus minus 5% leeway but it gets reported to the government all the industry opposed it it never got incorporated into the acts or the rules because if the government does not know how much onions are available then they how can you take a decision on whether they 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 take a decision based on market and retail prices right. which are after the markets have been manipulated so i'm saying the government is not interested in collecting data which will give them informed which will allow them to make informed policy decisions i i hope this um, 
uh, this website is a work in progress and I hope it gets data from more and more primary sources as it grows and I'm sure technology will allow it. Uh, you know, let me come uh, back to Nidhi and there's this lovely line which I, I don't know whether Avik or Rohini have come up with that what skills are needed to do a data backstory, particularly about an agriculture and wait for this. What are the ways in which agriculture can be manipulated and how can journalists sift the wheat from the chaff? That's a nice wordplay on what we're talking about. So uh, you, I'm sure through Gao Connection, if I understand correctly, your model does have your grassroots journalists, reporters, correspondents, who you, I guess, have to train because they aren't necessarily from journalism colleges, not that means anything much, but nevertheless. Um, so how how can data help train them better or help them report better in your experience of having covered this? Just, I think two, three points. One more point I want to discuss is which you raised to Aparna also about this whole data thing. Now, I think we all think that once we have this data put out somewhere, journalists are so intelligent that they just look at it and they will start churning out stories. That's absolutely incorrect. I have been working with a lot of journalists, whether it is in Gao uh, Connection Platform now and otherwise. A lot of journalists have no capacity to do stories based on data because we've never bothered to train them in data journalism. See, the whole point is that data can actually give you amazing stories, but you need to build capacities of journalists to be able to understand that data. So what generally happens is that you have these two different things. On one hand, you will have these biggies who are churning out data, putting it out on fancy websites. On the other hand, you have journalists who are like struggling. I'm like looking at this whole data and wondering, okay, now what is the story? At the end of the day, I, have, I need a story. You know, I need to publish a story. So I think it is also very, very important for people who churn out these data to also train journalists in understanding that data and figuring out how do you narrate stories out of this data which you have. So I think that's one important point I really want to make that we need to build capacities of journalism, a journalist as far as data journalism is concerned. If you want them to use data, otherwise it makes no sense. You can put out all kinds of data. Second point I want to make is which part said about, uh, you know, only things which are sexy, they sell the stories. I think it's also failure on part of us as journalists because we fail to connect urban and rural India. You know, you have journalists who work in Bombay, uh, sorry, Mumbai, so they will only report from Mumbai. They have absolutely no clue even where Latur is or, you know, what Tuvardal looks like when it is growing in the field. And similarly, then you have journalists who are writing in vernacular, you know, uh, uh, platforms. They have been never bothered to work with them or to, you know, even build their capacities. So which is where this disconnect comes. The only time we worry about tomatoes and, uh, you know, onion in Mumbai is when we say, oh, the price has reached 100 rupees a kg. And then we crib about it, you know, see how uh, it's become so much expensive, mehenga hoga and all that. And then the one headline that everybody comes up with every year, which is the most unoriginal cliche, onions make government cry, you know? Yeah, 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 obviously, obviously. So, you know, I think it's it's like, I think it's, it's really bad on our part that we fail to actually make urban India understand that their resources are coming from rural India. And unless you understand rural India, I mean, we are all jinxed. 
Another point that you said about community journalists is, uh, yes, uh, when we are, uh, uh, you know, in this whole parliament thing, when the questions were asked around, you know, how many migrant workers died while walking or whatever, all the time government kept saying that we have no data, we have no data. Later on, they started presenting some data. Sorry, I'm going very fast because I know we have a lack of time. But so what we uh, tried doing is that sometimes when you don't have data, you need to create that data. So at our platform from Gaon Connection, we started doing these surveys, which we actually do face-to-face -face survey, which we did even during COVID to understand what's the impact of COVID on rural India, whether it is on the health of pregnant women, whether it is on water sources, whether it is, uh, you know, on farmers, how many could sow, how many could harvest. So all of that. So somewhere I think it is also important for us to generate that kind of data from the ground, where I'm actually interviewing a farmer, spending an hour trying to understand, okay, what happened? What do you think about these things? As far as community journalists is concerned, yes, we do have a because we believe as a journalist, I can't be everywhere. I'm based in Mumbai and you have stories everywhere in each corner of this country. So I cannot be traveling anywhere. Or if we have 10 reporters in town connection, all of us can't be traveling everywhere. There's a cost to the organization also. And the good thing is that there are people already out there who have some skill sets. If you just train them a little bit and they understand their area, like if I go to Bengal, I can't speak Bengali, but a person who's already there knows the language and can actually connect so well with the people. So we do train community journalists and we have a large network and a lot of our stories actually come from these community journalists, which we have trained in Mojo mobile journalism also, so that you can just shoot and you know, send us video clips also and write stories. So I think uh, those are some of the ways you know, we're trying to bridge this gap between uh, reportage. Aparna, you know, I would like to come to you with the specific because you've written for so many uh, platforms and you've also done video production and documentary. Like when, when you know, I was starting News Laundry, one device that is often used in screenwriting, which I kind of said in journalism also, you should have that you should be able to describe your story in one line. Like, you know, like they teach you in cinema that you should be able to describe your film in one line. Like, Shole is the story of a retired, you know, Thakur, police officer hiring two small-time thugs to murder a decoy. That is the one-line story. And unless you know the one-line story, your story will be all over the place. So, you know, as we just heard uh, that just having data is not enough. You have this whole bhaji ab iska kya karu kya. So, what are the specifics that we can do to train uh, journalists, to create the skills to cover journalism? What are the specifics that we can do? So um, uh, to me, uh, my journalism training is all from Pete Sainath. Okay, so that's, he was literally my, you know, one uh, man journalism school. And, you know, uh, I think the biggest advice that he gives you is talking about the everyday lives of people and talking about processes and not events. To me, I think that has been the key learning. So we cover rural India when there is something very dramatic happening. Either hundreds of people are dying, God forbid. But the other thing is like an IAS officer, somebody clears an IAS exam and the father happens to be a farmer or an auto rickshaw driver. You know what I mean? So either it's a complete success story, very unexpected, or it's a disaster, which is like, you know, uh, something which grabs eyeballs, right? We leave out the... 
events, both are events. We live out the everyday, the processes, what actually happens, what actually makes the country what it is, the livelihoods of everyday people. And those livelihoods are extremely complex, they're sophisticated. People have great skills which are, you know, completely undermined, underwritten, underpaid. Anything that a woman has done is, you know, considered unskilled, not worthy of, you know, equal pay with a man. So there are like, and caste, of course, is like a huge um, thing in India, right? So we have hierarchies which are there within society and certain uh, you know, parts of that society is covered very well. So, for example, classical music is covered, folk music is not. This is something that, you know, I've noticed. Like, so if they, they can be, um, th this is something that people told me often when I was covering disappearing livelihoods is that somebody will come, like what Nidhi said, you know, somebody will go from a city to a village and then say, oh, you know, your livelihood is dying. So let me write a story about a dying livelihood. And I say this as somebody who's done series on, you know, disappearing livelihoods, but it is a trope. People want to talk about something very dramatic happening. It is not of interest to anybody to say that, listen, there is an all-night performance that happens even today in Tamil Nadu, where for eight hours in the night, you have 6,000 people or 2,000 people sitting down and watching the performance. Play, you know, which is a, a terukutu, like, you know, katekutu uh, which is modeled on the Mahabharata. Nobody wants to hear that because you don't want to hear that, you know, this process is happening. You want to hear when there is one last person, you know, uh, there doing it. You want to hear the first woman doing it. I'm, I'm not saying it's wrong to present that story. I'm saying it's not enough to present that story. So when we are training journalists, we make them look at this center and make the everyday somehow relatable to every, uh, you know, other person. Uh, we, are, we should be invested in those stories, right? I mean, if everything that we consume is going to come from rural India, what are we in, in um, I'm not saying nothing happens in the cities, but like, you know, primarily the, um, the foundation is laid in rural India. In the cities, we build on it, right? We're very good at that. So we are trained and equipped to do that. So when we are not relating to the people who do the major chunk of the work, um, I think we are failing. So like 13% of farmland in India is owned by women. They do 70% of the agricultural work. Where are we talking about the stories of women farmers? Where are those stories? Hmm? Why are we only talking about the, you know, 77% of the men who are owning the farmland, but only do 30% of the farm work? Why? Right. I, I remember I, I heard a lecture by Sainath, I think almost eight, 10 years ago here in Delhi, where he said that when he had gone around Yavatmal, which I think is also where he's from actually originally, and, and he Andra. was uh, okay, Andhra. So, but he said he spent a lot of time in Yavatmal and going to every uh, individual police station, getting the FIRs who died by suicide. Mm -hmm. And many of the women are not considered farmers. So, the the number that he came up with, he said, will not be actually. It'll still be a deflated number because many of those women aren't considered farmers at all, even right. though they do farming. So, yes. Um, Parts, uh, you know, a few years ago when Hans Rosling was his name, the guy who made Data Sexy with all that visualization. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, Hans Rosling who made TED Talk School and who made Data Sexy. I remember, and that time we had just set up News Laundry and everyone wanted data journalists because everyone thought they'd do this sexy data thing and how cool we'd be and everyone want to watch us. But then mobile became the, the go-to device. And now the, the the general conventional wisdom is that this is too small to look at data. The story is another. So uh, how effective a tool is data or is data a story in itself? Can we still do that? And is there any value in it? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, at the end of the day, data can, you can also look at data from different perspectives, right? So, uh, but I think it's data you know, often should be used to supplement uh, as a supplementary tool to tell human interest stories. And uh, as uh, just to take Aparna's point forward, uh, with 
when you speak about women farmers not uh, uh, included in the farm suicide, same happens with Adivasi and Dalit farmers as well because they don't own farmlands either. Uh, when it comes to uh, uh, data and uh, farm suicides data for between 1995 and 2015, uh, you had 3 lakh farmers dying by suicide in India, and then the the, the the government just stopped releasing data of farm suicides. Uh, at the same time, in 2014 and 15, when to take your, your point forward of how we can uh, shift what wheat from the the shaft. Yeah, yes. <laughs> so Not my words. Apparently, there are shubs on his words. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> so basically, in 2014, what they did was because these numbers were exploding uh, through the roof. What they did was they divided farmers into different categories, the tenant farmers, ag agricultural laborers, and then main cultivators. So you could, you know, spread those farm suicide data within those three, four columns. You just downplay the number of uh, farm suicide. So basically, I think data is important, but the way you look at it also matters. Now, someone has to go through these data sets and figure out that, look, agricultural laborers, tenant farmers, as well as main cultivators, they're all, uh, they all come under farm suicides. Uh, apart from that, you have students. A lot of cases I've covered where especially girl students, uh, aged 15, 16, have committed suicide in rural, in rural areas because they know their parents are already in debt and their marriage uh, will include dowry and will further exacerbate uh, the, the, the problem of debt, indebtedness of, of their parents. So they have committed suicide. Now, that is also an outcome of the agrarian distress. Now, these are the things that you can, you only, you can only pick up when you physically visit uh, villages, meet people, spend an hour with them, have lunch with them, and then you can sort of uh, uh, come up with this, uh, come up with your, your own perspective and then look at data from your perspective. Otherwise, if you don't have that perspective, you will just, uh, uh, you will just do stories uh, based on the data that is presented to you. And I think that can be misleading in, uh, in, in, in many cases. Okay. Um, Ajay, you know, when it comes to what are the stories to be told, um, you know, one like conventional wisdom that has gone around in reporting is that for a country to be significantly, you know, richer or, or fight poverty, you have to get more people out of agriculture and into other, whether it's manufacturing or services or other industry that is now almost considered the conventional wisdom. A, is it the conventional wisdom? Is agriculture necessarily a loss-making venture and you have to get more people out of it? And if that is the case, uh, then what are the stories that have to be told to make that case? And if that is not the case, why has this kind of canard gone around that this is the only way for a country to move forward? Is agriculture that bad? So first of all, I want to say that, you know, I'm feeling uh, awed and, you know, humbled that we have uh, you here and Nidhi, Aparna and Parth, who are all data and journalists and media, and I'm the only odd man out here. And, and I'm feeling really, uh, you know, it's a great learning experience. And for us also, by the way, I, I mean, it's a great learning experience from, for us from someone who understands farming at least better than I ever will. I, I have always said that farmers will need to be supported in perpetuity. So the whole idea that farmers can get Atmanirbhar is wrong. And if we, if we understand the fact that farmers can never become self-sufficient, they will always need to be supported. There are too many people on the farms. When, when people like me or other people say that we need to move farmers out of agriculture, then lots of other activists who are also in the farming sphere, you know, they, they start criticizing. But the whole idea is that farming cannot support so many people. 
as as they are because lands have got fragmented over thousands of years and the land holding is too small to support people so the question is how do you best support them how do you use your resources do you increase production do you do you 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 got to start looking at agriculture not in silos of production subsidy or in terms of toilet making or in terms of you know something you need to look at a totally uh, different uh, holistic uh, you know synergy in in the programs now the question is when you when you talk about it i the problem that i face with journalists and i've seen it happening is that all journalists if you do a press release for example if any any government any every journalist wants a soft copy because they just copy paste and they'll print it because there's not enough money they're not they're like uh, they, there's not enough money in agriculture journalism there's not enough money in covering this these rural livelihoods but uh, i really don't know to tell you the truth that how do you shift the narrative from what it is to what we want it to be and uh, the problem is i think so the story has to focus we need to teach vernacular daily journalists uh, uh you know people in in small towns to understand policy and data they need to understand they don't people in delhi and you know re- reporting in english media or on social or or on 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 web news websites like like the ones represented here they understand this policy idea they understand data but these ones who are reporting for local newspapers let's say in abor coming out of my hometown or smaller district headquarters you know census town journalists they don't understand that they are focused more on immediate events that are happening you know canal mein pani band ho gaya bijli nahi aayi you know some tractor overturned so there's there's such a huge gap that one idea will not work anything i i really think there is a scope for making smaller journalists understand the value of data and you know making making that data and even even to teach them on policy issues if if you if you if you look at let's say ms swami nathan committee report now you look at 99% of journalists 99% of farmer organizations have not even seen that ms swami nathan report they have not read the whole report all they do is they one quote c2 plus 50 is what we want and and that ends it nobody wants to go into the depth so we we need to help you know people learn on this agriculture covering rural livelihoods like you said if you don't look in silos you look at rural livelihoods how do you teach them it's 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 something how do you, how do you design like one week 10 10 day refresher courses and we find funding to do that right by the way i think it's a big challenge i don't have any answers unfortunately sure no that's okay i mean uh, i don't think there are any simple answers to begin with um, i mean i i i hope getting the data is one way to at least start i i remember i'd, I'd heard this talk that uh, which was and i've quoted this so many times that I, any any other session i've done people don't say oh see story se bore karta hai but i think it's it's very relevant that you know which is the biggest innovate which is the one innovation that reduced accidents when the automobile was invented at a very large scale and people were driving it around right you know one would think it's a seat belt or the brake it is actually the speedometer because till the speedometer then you didn't know how fast you were going you know it was like your mother saying be careful like what does that mean below a 40s careful or above 60s careful so so just getting a dashboard to see where you're going yes go ahead ajay just just one more thing and second thing i find is that economists and academicians who are funded you know let's say uh, i don't want to name organizations here who are funded by corporate houses these academics they torture the data 
you know they 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 flip the data around to make it so so relevant for example today in financial express there's an article by someone who i get mentored by and i don't want to name it he's he's proven by data that bihar farmer incomes are much better than punjab farmer incomes you know like since morning i've been trying to grapple with the idea so people maybe that's why i see so many so, so many turbans in bihari fields so that so yeah, that's why yeah, they all they are coming for work to punjab but we are interested in them and they they and people who are good at articulating in english or good at languages also makes a difference in how you sell that data to the public so it's just not the data it's it's how people tend to do that and it's happening more and more often no well, yeah but data is one step forward because it makes the invisible visible yeah. you have a dash dash would have a speedometer now aparna if you could just come in on are we and often my grouse with much media commentary is that one treats it as a monolith that also one treats agriculture as a monolith i mean i'm sure the punjab farmer has unique problems as opposed yeah. to farmer in tamil nadu or as opposed to farmers in you know bengal or assam or further northeast um is coverage also like that i, I mean I, i don't know and if anybody from the panel you know maybe parth uh, or, or or nithi would have a better idea of that but abarna is it that certain states or certain language reportage is doing a better job of reporting on agriculture and we are just looking at this sliver of english media which is not that large as far as numbers are concerned i mean would you be able to shed any light on that um i think by and large uh, you know uh, any reporting about um, so i think this has come up in the panel right so what gets reported uh in local uh, newspapers is is something which is very close to the ground which is very important and vital what gets covered in the cities is somewhat like a bigger picture right so uh, bridging the two is going to be the important part in what language does it happen so i follow a little bit of tamil media um, more of uh, english media and in english media you find the stories that sell you find these you know event based stories there are some process based stories pari gaon collection all these people even cover lagliya all these places do a lot of i think you know process driven stories long term stories um those are very important it happens in uh, i'm sure english and in other languages also um i don't know if it language is the issue but, but i think it's also very difficult sometimes to get to the story it requires a lot of uh, uh, time effort money to chase these stories because sometimes you know just to get one let's sure. say a 5000 word piece you are or let's say a 10000 word piece on you know you you spend 6 months in the field who's going to fund you right where is the money for that kind of thing like you have to keep going so if i want to do a story about one village agriculture in one village i want to go back to that village over 3 4 years because i want to know how it is during a drought year when you know there is a normal monsoon year i want to know when they are you know doing different crops before the harvest after the harvest i need to know it how will i present a story i can't do a one hour interview with somebody and then write a story about their lives that's rubbish right i think the other way of looking at it is the model where you have enabling people to tell their own stories in which case you know people are talking about their own lived experience whichever language it is i'm sure translation is not the uh, you know a, a problem because majority of indians speak multiple languages so we should be able to find like you know very good translations if we tell people uh, if we get people to talk about their lived experiences they're going to get the sharpest and the best reportage and as we know media has a privilege uh, 
you know, there is a problem of power and privilege and where it's vested, right? We don't have the diversity in media that we should be having, right? I think that will be the game changer. If we have the diversity in the media, if we have more voices outside of the people who are, report, you know, repeatedly telling these stories, I think the stories that we hear will dramatically change. Go ahead, sorry. Yeah. Carry on. So I think that would be the, that would be the game changer. I think diversity in media who we are privileging as a reporter, as a journalist, um, who we are training, you know, and all these gatekeepers, all of us in some ways, right? People with uh, power privilege, all of us have to, you know, I think step back, give the space over to the people who are actually experiencing these issues to come forward and tell the story. So what if English is not up to scratch? We can remedy that very easily, right? Let yeah. them tell the stories in the language that they want to talk about, right? Let them speak those stories. Let them do a video story. And I think, you know, many websites are doing it, including Pari. And I speak about Pari because I'm, you know, associated with Pari. And I know the kind of work that's going on there. But, I'm, but I'm, I know that there are multiple websites doing it. So that should be the way forward, I think. And that will change the narrative and what... Um, it is so much more powerful when a farmer's son comes and tells you about the problems in farming than me who's never touched a plow in my hand. Right. So, um, in fact, uh, we're doing at Newsround, we're doing a diversity audit um, of, of our own organization before we pay Logyan to others. So, and we're just trying to encourage others also to do this. <laughs> but, you know, um, Nidhi uh, and Parth, if you could just comment on the same question on, on A, is it this monolith or are there some pockets that are doing a really good job because the market is there? You know, maybe some language newspapers, you know, what have you found in your experiences of, of you know, whether it's the data you provide to, I'm sure many other organizations take their data from India spend, um, on Nidhi, you know, with, with your Gaon connection. connection. Uh, so, and and just to your, uh, you know, we tried to do a partnership with a volunteer-based news organization. A, uh, you know, because they, for each day that they go out and report, they are foregoing a day's labor. So a 5,000 rupee kind of story thing, and what often happened, at least with us, while it didn't work out, and I don't know, maybe it's our fault we should invest more in capacity building, is that a lived experience, like if, you know, I come and say that this SDM asked me for money and that person is corrupt, and this, just as a journalist, I have to say, dude, you can't just say that. You go there, get, ask him a question. Uh, we are told his office is like 15 kilometers away. I'll have to go ask my son to take me on the bike again, ask him a question. He may not answer, then come all the way back. You know, because journalism isn't just sitting in a panel and pillowing, which is what it seems to have become. And that didn't work out because they could not give that two, three days. They said, I'll tell you what my side of the story, but I can't give you a journalistic take. And a journalistic take is necessary at the end of the day, even if that SDM may be taking money, but you still have to give the guy a chance to respond. Got so, it. Yeah, I, I get the point, but my uh, limited point is that, you know, we don't have the space for this person telling their own story. Right? Oh, I agree. So I think a capacity it's building at that level is... So, uh, so without so, the filter of you and me, that would be important. Right. So, um, you know, Parth, if you want to come in and then I'll, I'll, I'll give you the last word. Uh, yeah, sure. So when I report from Maharashtra, in, in the interiors of Maharashtra, uh, a lot of reporters are doing terrific stories. Uh, they, they deserve to be told and all of that's fine, but uh, what I see, uh, you know, across the state is that they're extremely uh, uh, neglected. Uh, they're not paid well enough for them to go. Uh, so, for example, a reporter is based in Usmanabad. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a town of Usmanabad and there are like seven, eight different, ten different talukas of Usmanabad. There's a story that's happening like 50, 60 kilometers away. A reporter with a 
with a with a Marathi newspaper in Usmanabad will get like eight thousand bucks a month. In that uh, in that salary, how is he or she supposed to uh, fill fill up his own uh, uh, petrol on, in his bike, drive down fifty kilometers, then come back and write the copy? So what's happening is uh, the the people who are actually in on the ground and uh, close to the farmland and farmers are not being looked after. And at the same time, the ones who want to sort of visit uh, the, the hinterland from, say, Mumbai or Delhi, they're also working with websites that are uh, that are kind of stretched for funds. So basically, uh, what's happening? The, the landscape right now, media landscape in mainstream media, it looks like those who have the money are not interested in doing ground reporting, and those who want to do ground reporting uh, are based on are dependent on subscriptions or uh, donations and so on and so forth. So that's a uh, I don't know how to uh, reconcile with these two uh, two to gaps because uh, at the same time and sec- again secondly uh, those who are based in in, in Usmanabad or Bid or uh, and towns like these they are also under tremendous pressure because they are reporting against people uh, the strongmen in their own villages uh, and uh, it's extremely difficult for them to do that I can ask the questions to the to to, to those uh, strongmen that they can't because I have to I can come back to Bombay and I'm in my safe zone. If somebody's bumped off in Usmanabad, uh, uh, nobody gives a damn, right? So that's also something that that we need to uh, look at when we go forward and talk about rural reporting because at the end of the day, people living in rural areas are doing uh, far far more work at far greater risk and at to 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 less uh, an amount of money. Right. Uh, yeah, Nidhi. Uh, Ajay, what, did you want to say something? I, I no, thought you. No, no. Yeah. Yeah, Nidhi, uh, go ahead. Could you kind of give some clarity yeah. on these three? Just three, four quick points I want to make. One about Ajay that uh, you know we generally think that all the data understanding is with English journalists. Trust me, we are equally bad. There are a lot of vernacular journalists who actually understand data very, very well. I mean, I've I know a lot of journalists who don't English. You know, journalists who don't know the difference between acre and hectare. So I think uh, I think that's a that's you know we think that you know these four of us, me, Parth, and all sitting over here talking about data journalism. We understand data. We don't. Uh, so um, a second point I want to make is that when we're talking of data and open data, uh, there is a cost attached to data collection. That's what we figured now. You know, if I have um, at uh, Gaon Connection, we've done a survey in 23 states during COVID, a face-to-face survey where we have surveyors going and interviewing uh, people in rural India. There is a cost attached to collecting that kind of data. And when you have no investor, when you have no advertisements, how do you remain independent? It's a big challenge. I think we all need to really think about it that, you know, we want... We want open um, uh, access data, but when you're collecting data from the field with hundreds of people attached, how do you keep it independent? Uh, Then this whole thing of uh, uh, which part said that I completely agree with him that people who are working in vernacular journalism, they are paid pittance. And in this COVID time, we've had people having 50% salary cut. Earlier, they would get scooter ka petrol. Now, they're not even getting that. So, doing stories for them, it, it is becoming increasingly difficult. But I think COVID is also a time we need to understand that Nidhi Jambal or Parth doesn't need to go everywhere to report on agriculture. Why are we not building capacities of people who are already there? Right now, in COVID, we are missing out on so many important stories because possibly I can't travel to a village in Bihar and report or Parth can't travel to somewhere in Karnataka or somewhere else. I mean, he can, but I'm saying there are still some restrictions. So 
we need to build capacities of vernacular journalists and they are actually very good it's just that they need also some platform where they can put out their work uh, because locally like part said there are lot of influences under which they function it's really not easy so i think and also very important for us is to have more media fellowships for vernacular journalists you know we 57 just keep talking in echo chambers you know these english journalists talking of these fancy sexy stuff amongst ourselves it is important for us to uh, you know break this silo also and get involved more with vernacular journalists and build their capacities because we all got to work together it's not just uh, you know a couple of Uh, uh english journalists just reporting once in a blue moon they wake up and they start reporting on environment or agriculture or whatever so i think i'll just end with that okay before i do the concluding points anyone has anything that they wanted to say but weren't quite able to because of the paucity of time or can i conclude yes aparna go ahead so um i think you know i i agree with nidhi about the cost of collecting uh, um so the state has to do it right the state has to be putting in the effort the time the money and you know actually doing it good luck uh, with that the covid time i know <laughs> <laughs> but i think we have to push for it isn't it so as wonderful as it is to have like you know um, an independent data portal we need the state also to come up and give us uh, unmanipulated a uh, real time uh, data which is genuine which is believable because during the covid time even getting uh, like you know um, a relief out to people let's say like folk performers and all that in tamil nadu we found that there was no num- that we don't know how many folk uh, performers there are in tamil nadu so how many of them are below poverty level we have no idea so you know people actually went from village to village trying to get this kind of information when i was writing my book i didn't know what is the let's say the livelihood of one village which makes nadaswarams i had to go from every house that was making it and then we finally found out that the turnover of that industry is 19.6 lakhs it's a very you know rough idea we roughly came out to find out that you know two villages of tamil nadu they make 72000 sickles this is not my job to go and i i'm happy to do it but my point is the government should be having this data i should be able to get it from the government Right. So, as you know, we need independent portals, but we need government data as well. Well, uh, this this data portal actually gets its data from official government figures. Like, for example, the map that I have tried to create, the Census 2011 demographic demography of main agricultural labor uh, is from um, the Ministry of Home Affairs, Agricultural Census, Directorate of Economic and Statistics Department. So they actually pull real time data from a lot of sources. I mean. i have some sort of an idea of how this works so it's getting its data from i mean it is the most comprehensive data kind of one point right now so uh, you know thanks uh, parth no ajay uh, government does not have that data yeah so what i'm saying not is yet. So, but even they get it from there they they're not like they don't have their own um, like kind of census is happening they they they're getting it from other sources as well uh, so nidhi aparna uh, parth ajay thank you so much and to everyone watching whether you are a journalist or training journalists uh, well the one excuse you don't have any more is that data nahi hai kyunki indiandataportal.com has a, has a lot of data and it's a work in progress and i guess it will keep increasing and even if you just like to see maps colored in fancy multicolored and that you know gives you a kick you can also just mess around with that to see the data visualization bit uh, so thank you for watching thank you for your valuable time and your comments on this i hope we have been able to get some sort of an idea going of what the problems are and maybe 
a few solutions suggested too can be incorporated. Uh, so thank you. I hand back to you. Um, I and uh, I, I hope you use this portal to the maximum and also give inputs to make the amount of data it can process bigger and better and bigger and better. Thanks all. Thank you so much, Abhinandan, for moderating such an amazing and interactive session. Uh, the amazing blend of journalists with a practitioner in this panel actually helped the audience to get a very diverse perspective. So thanks once again, and uh, for talking about the India Data Portal also, thank you. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes, and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs, and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel.